Welcome in, everyone, to another Messy Conversation. I am thrilled to be joined by three very special guests for this episode. Um, our primary guests tonight are Carl and Laura Forehand. Laura is an educator, a mom, a grandmother, an author in her own right. I hope she'll talk to us about that a little bit, and a podcaster. Uh, Carl is a former pastor, a dad, a grandfather, author, and podcaster as well. Carl's latest book is The Tea Shop, and he's working on a couple more, including one with Laura, I think, that we'll talk about during our time together today. I want to take a minute before we get into the conversation to introduce my incredible wife, Brandy, who is joining me for the very first time ever. It took Laura forehand to get her on camera. Uh, she loves Laura, and so she's happy to be here, and I'm happy to have her with me tonight. She is a former youth minister in her own right also a worship leader. She's also an all-star mom and, of course, the number one supporter of this podcast. And so I'm really grateful to have Brandy with me tonight. First of all, Carl and Laura, how are you two handling this pandemic season? Um, I'll go. <laughs> uh, well, I would say fairly well. I mean, I'm a teacher, so there's always that kind of stress. Um, fairly well. I think that, um, I, I find myself getting irritated about certain things, especially, um, you know, when, when we're told kind of how to stay safe and then some people aren't staying safe or doing what they need to, to help others stay safe. I think I get, um, that, that gets me a little riled up sometimes, but other than that, I mean, you know, and not being able to see my grandkids the way I would like to see them. That's probably the hardest part for me. Um, and that's probably where I get the most um, sad. What I get the most sad about is that I can't, um, you know, see them like I want to or hold them as often as I want to or see them as often as I want to. But, you know, other than that, um, We've stayed healthy. Our whole family has stayed healthy because we're, we're trying to practice good, you know, social distancing and mask wearing and all that kind of stuff. So I am grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that. Carl, how about you? Well, I've been, uh, the companies that I've worked at since the pandemic began um, are for the most part, very, very serious about mask wearing and so on. Um, so it hadn't been a struggle. And I I never really struggled with that principle because most of the companies I work at, we wear lots of other PPE. So we wear a hard hat, we wear safety glasses, we wear steel-toed shoes. And in certain situations, we put on gloves and protective clothing and, and so on. So if there's a pandemic with a um, airborne virus, it makes sense to uh, to me to put on the PPE that would help prevent that. So it hasn't been a struggle for me. I think knowing how serious it is and and living in a small town kind of area where people don't take it seriously or didn't until recently when we went from one death to six deaths in a matter of a couple of weeks, um, that's that's a little scary because so many people, when you go into Casey's General Store or something like that, and everybody's 
breathing on you, you know, it's, you just want to get in and get out as quick as you can. But I, you know, that I'm an introvert. Someone asked me the other day, if I like people, I, I love people. I just don't want to be around them all the time. So <laughs> I know somebody Same. like that. <laughs> Being at home is okay with me. I mean, and you know, the time between these two last jobs, I've gotten to finish up the bean book and kind of work on that next one and do some of those things, write some blogs and I'm good. I, I like to, there's a song called I need you at the dimming of the day. I don't know if you ever heard that song. I don't think so. That's, you know, as long as Laura comes at the end of the day, then I'm okay. You leave me, leave me alone all day by myself and I'm fine. Me and Winston do just fine. <clears throat> I posted a t-shirt on uh, Instagram yesterday that said, after this virus is gone, I'm still going to need some of y'all to stay away from me. Mm -hmm. That sounds like uh, your view, Carl. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like them. I, anyway. You just love them better from a distance. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. I'm just <laughs> saying I'm okay. <laughs> okay. I'm okay with just seeing people occasionally. Okay. All right. Now, Laura, the uh, pandemic has uh, a real personal meaning for y'all. Y'all have, I don't want to go too far into this just for privacy sake, but uh, y'all have a family member who has some health concerns, right? And so this could be devastating mm -hmm. to your family. How has the anxiety of that been for you these last several months? Yeah, I, I don't think my daughter, I won't name any names, but I don't think she would mind me, you know, we talking about our grandson who um, was born with, well, he has congenital CMV. So what that basically boils down to is he was in utero, contracted this virus. And a lot of people have CMV, but for you and I, if we had CMV, we would just like have the common cold. We might feel kind of bad for a couple of days and then we'd be fine. But when um, babies contract it in utero, that's a whole nother story. And so things like um, a lot of times they're born with um, smaller head sizes, cerebral palsy, vision and auditory disabilities. So um, our grandson has, he has CP, cerebral palsy. He has vision and auditory um, issues and he does have this, the small head size. So um, he is thriving and such a joy, but he does have these situations and he was on oxygen for the first six months of life. So um, there's that you know, there, there's the lung issue now too. So you're absolutely right. This could be something that could be very devastating. And so I think where I go as a mom is, of course, I think about him, but I also think about my daughter and I think about how isolated, you know, she is so much because they don't go anywhere. In fact, because we, speaking of the general public, will not wear masks or you know, um, make any sacrifices. I'm using air quotes, make any sacrifices. She has to sacrifice taking him to, um, therapy appointments to in-person therapy appointments. Everything has to be done telehealth. And 
if you are in the medical community at all, or you've had a child that has needed special services of any kind, you know that like, I mean, for me to do physical therapy over like Zoom or just practice those things, I'm probably not going to be as diligent about those things. And it's just not the same if I'm trying to, to uh, work my muscles and, um, and those types of things instead of a somebody who has a doctorate in physical therapy actually manipulating my muscles and, and getting them and getting me to do exactly what I need to do you know, whether I like it or not. So I think my anxiety is more along that lines. I think, you know, a lot of times we don't think about the repercussions of people outside of our family, sometimes maybe even outside of ourselves. And um, I just think about, you know, how far back this puts some of our, um, our people with disabilities and, and our, and our children with disabilities and, and how this, pandemic is, um, it, it could, it could be putting them a year behind of the, of the, you know, growth that they could be making, um, if they were going in person. So I, I just, yeah, that's where my anxiety is. I think more than anything, I do have, um, some anxiety. I, we teach in person right now. So, you know, there's some anxiety there, but I think as far as my family goes, that's probably, that's probably where most of my anxiety is kind of um, focused right now when it comes to this pandemic, just making sure that my grandson gets what he needs. And then also my daughter is, um, you know, when you're a caregiver 24 seven, as well as mom, you know, I mean, Brandy and I could probably talk for hours about what it's like just, you know, being a mom, let alone a caregiver of a child with you know, disabilities. And, um, you know, so sometimes my, my anxiety goes toward my daughter just to make, I want to make sure that, that she is okay mentally and emotionally, you know, because she's so isolated, you know, she is primary 24 seven there. And, um, you know, she doesn't even go to the store. Um, it's just, she does not want to risk getting her son sick, even though she'll wear a mask and everything else, but it's, it's the, it's other people, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I can, I can do what I need to do, but if other people aren't collectively doing what they need to do, then that, then that just ups your risk. And I don't think she's willing to take that. So, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of anxiety there. I think there's just a big misunderstanding because I keep hearing people in the media and even friends online just say, well, if you're high risk, just stay home. But not yeah. only does the high risk person or the person with you know health issues have to stay home, everyone who ever sees them yeah. has to stay home right. because the general population refuses to take this seriously. I mean, mm-hmm. I keep hearing from doctor after doctor that if everybody would wear a mask, we could pretty much go back to a normal life. Um, If we keep them on and practice the distancing and things that they're recommending. Um, I don't know why that's so difficult for folks to understand. We can't just have seniors stay home for a year and pretend that this is all okay. It's not going to work. Right. And we can't just have people with disabilities or caretakers of people with disabilities. Just basically, I don't think that it's right for me as 
a, a non-disabled person to tell a disabled person, I'm going to go about my life, but you're not allowed to go about your life. Right. I, I, I don't know where we have come to the, the notion that that is okay for us to, I mean, and then maybe it's that individualism. I mean, Carl and I have talked about this. Maybe it's that individual, you know, that rugged individualism we have here in the United States of America, as if it's something to be super proud of instead of collectively coming together. I mean, we have the, we are fortunate enough to have a son that lives in Taiwan and to see the way that their country has handled this versus our country and I mean, I'm not looking to move over to Taiwan or anything like that, but it's just, it's remarkably different in the way that they care for one another. And will I mean, we'll do whatever it takes to, um, to keep each other safe and they don't, they don't go around pointing fingers. Well, if you don't, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask, so you're just going to have to deal with it. So it's just, yeah, it's very, very yeah, they're exactly the same size as Florida, where you guys live. Mm-hmm. And they have none, and you have more than none. But, you know, they've, they've controlled it. They are an island, but they're also really close to China. Mm-hmm. And you know, Chinese people visit there all the time. So, you know, anyway, sorry yeah. for interrupting. No, it's fucking no. Yeah. Carl, I wanted to ask you, why do you think it is that many of the folks who have the strongest opinions against masks and against distancing seem to be the religious crowd. Why is it that folks of faith seem to have the biggest problem loving their neighbors in this way? I, I think it's because of spiritual bypassing. We're so good at that. We've, we've so, um, we don't, you know, even just in a small group, if you're ever in a small group, right? We had small groups was a big deal for a while. But even in a small group, someone would say, I'm really struggling with this. And people would automatically minimize that struggling. They would say, it's going to be fine. God's in control. Um, you know, we're praying for a miracle. We, we, we wanted to bypass dealing uh, with our stuff. And the church, we've talked about this a lot, but the church, uh, I would never say even those, those pastors that I disagree with now and that don't talk to me anymore, I would never say that they have bad intentions, that they don't want people to get better. But the whole system doesn't have time um, for our grief. That's what Sarah Bessie said. The church doesn't have room for my grief. It doesn't have time. There's no time in the program to for questions we've talked about that a lot but there's also no time for dealing with your trauma your issues um, and things like that so um, president trump is is a is a pretty good personification of that because he wanted to just have a positive attitude mm-hmm. so it's going to be okay it's going to go away but at, at some point, you have to slow down and say, wait a minute, what's the real problem? And we, we need to spend some time and do some hard work, do the things that are uncomfortable. And there's one part of Christianity that I thought would come through. I thought this, this part of Christianity where we at, at sometimes embrace suffering, and that used to be kind of part of the deal, right? 
we'd say, well, well, we all have to suffer, you know, we're all in this together and we're going to have to suffer through this and we can do it together. Right. But that, that messaging never happened. Mm-hmm. All we heard, we just heard a lot of craziness and, you know, and avoiding it and in that spiritual bypassing of saying, um, you know, there's got to be just, you know, we just need a supernatural kind of solution to this. Or yeah. um, I, I suppose there was some sin, shaming, blaming kind of stuff going on too, but I didn't hear as much of that as just the, you know, God's going to protect us kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons that bothers me so much is I've been hearing for the last couple of years that um, you know we have faith and we have we choose faith over fear, but I've got to have a gun. Mm-hmm. And it seems like those two arguments are in contrast with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if if we're going to say I've got too much faith to wear a mask, then why are we? Why do we have to have that gun? And it just seems like the same folks are are. Anyway, I don't want to bypass by pointing fingers at anyone. Right. I, I think it's just really interesting to explore the dynamic that says I'm following Jesus, who taught me to love my neighbor even at great personal expense, but right. I'm not willing to be inconvenienced when it could save somebody's life. Yeah, uh, I heard a statistic just yesterday. Uh, you know, we're at I think what 268,000 that have died so far during the pandemic. And, and I heard a big number jump yesterday. They're talking about another 250,000 between now and January. As we record this, it is December 3rd. Mm-hmm. So 3, the deaths days. could double. 3,000. Because yesterday. we don't take it seriously. Yeah, it's 3,000 a day. And back to what Laura was talking about initially, about I, the phrase I thought about a lot was the least of these, you know, our, our focus is supposed to be the least of these. The the Jacksons, it's my grandson's name, you know, Laura's mom, my mom, mm-hmm. you know, those those are the most fragile, the least of these. And that that was supposed to be our focus. Right. Yeah. Seems like we lost that focus somewhere. Laura, do you have any thoughts on the uh What's causing the religious crowd to, or, or people of faith that, you know, I certainly count myself among, why don't we get it? Yeah, no, I, I agree with what Carl said. And I, I can, I can understand where you're, what you're feeling too, because I feel like I just kind of go round and round and round. Like, um, what does pro-life mean? You know, if we're pro-life, then why do we not care about these people who, you know, who are, are among the living now that that are that are these high risk groups. We should care about them. Meaning, we should, you know, if I'm really pro life, I should care about all life, not just that life that's in the womb. I should care about all life. And in hearing that 268,000 people have died of COVID, and I think we heard a statistic that this evening on the news that like there is someone dying of COVID every 30 seconds. And, and I don't know if it's in this country, Carl, you'll have to tell me if I'm right or if it's in the world, but irregardless, um, that should bother us. That should absolutely, you know, make us say we have got to get it together and, 
and do like Carl said, do whatever it takes to care for just people, just people for life. Let's care for life. So, yeah. So I, I go round and round too, where I don't understand like, you know, um, the, the religious side of it that is, is saying, you know, pro-life or, or whatever it is. And then kind of turning a blind eye to this astronomical number of people that have died of this, um, this virus that, like you said, Jason, if we would just wear masks could, I'm not saying it's going to save all lives, but I, I, the science is there that says it could make a dramatic difference. At least cut it in half. Yeah. 260 something is 272, 272,500. Now, yesterday there was 3000 deaths in one day. So that's basically the death toll of September 11th happening every day. That was the point. That was the point they were making. Yeah. It was just, that's, that's happening one after one. And people said early on, this is just like the flu. Well, the flu is between 24 and 50,000. We're, 10 times that now. Mm-hmm. And people said, well, it's just they're attributing it to other deaths. Um, there was another statistic that there has been 300,000 more deaths than last year. So it's, it's not just that we're categorizing flu, the flu different or when somebody dies of a heart attack. Um, I, I think there's no denying <laughs> that it's real and it's here. And it's serious, and even the small towns. My mom's small town, um, a pastor came from Tulsa to their small town, um, brought the virus with him, um, was cavalier about it, spread it to 20-something people in a small church. And there was five, uh, you know, this is, these are small, small towns. And five of my mom's friends died. So my mom's been serious about it from the beginning, even though politically she might be on the other side, but um, <clears throat> it's just, uh, it's mind boggling. Mm. Yeah. It, it really, I don't know. It just does something to the inside of me. And I, I'm, I'm trying to find peace in all of this. And that's what we really want to talk to y'all about is how do we find peace during this time? But let me continue my rant before I ask, I'll let Brandy ask the important questions. I'm just going to rant for a little while. Um, <laughs> It does something to me to hear people who say, I am following Jesus, who care more about their rights as Americans than the life and well-being of the least of these. Mm-hmm. I don't. Every time I hear those kind of arguments, it just does something to me. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking at some point, the spirit of God is going to break through and, and show Folks, that there are more important things than our rights mm-hmm. and our personal, you know, privilege and comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, a mask is such a small thing. Yeah. Uh, I remember when China, you know, when the, the virus first started going around there, it was nothing. I mean, everybody everywhere was wearing a mask mm-hmm. because they, you know, obviously they're, they're used to the government telling them to do things and them doing them more than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, what if it wasn't motivated by control? What if it was motivated by love? Mm-hmm. And shouldn't the folks who say that love is what our lives are all about, shouldn't we be the first ones to say, I'm going to love my neighbor? Mm-hmm. 
by wearing a mask to yeah. keep somebody's if there's if there's one person whose life I can make better mm-hmm. by doing this simple insignificant thing then I will lay down my privilege like Jesus who I say I worship did and follow his lead into loving my neighbor mm-hmm. yeah yep for sure so we can obviously get all very worked up about this issue. <laughs> so we want to know, what do you guys do? What practices have you implemented that are bringing you peace these days? Can I speak to that a little bit? And then Laura, sure. on the blanks, because I'm probably going to piggyback off you anyway. So go ahead. We have different journeys somewhat, right? We all, we always like a uh, this wouldn't come we don't have uh, we don't have visual so it wouldn't come across but it's like you know sometimes you're leading and, and you're pulling each other along kind of sometimes but we have different journeys but <clears throat> we're uh, I've, please don't think I'm plugging my book but the, the being book that's being book that's coming out in the in January um, is about what happened to me a couple of years ago. And when I wrote that book, it was a time in my life when I didn't know whether I was going to hold my marriage together. Uh, it seemed like things were just falling apart because of the reactivity that was coming up in me. And all of us have that. We have some shadow issues that get triggered. And if I went through some trauma when I was a kid or some trauma sometime back, Uh, when somebody does something to me, like not wear a mask in public and then come speak in my face, right? It triggers me, right? And it could trigger me to respond, to react instead of respond, right? And so collectively, we call that a shadow. And one of the things that's helped us tremendously two years ago, that's what I wrote about in 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 the Being book, was I, I talked about that experience when I'd been taking some spiritual direction from uh, some Benedictine sisters, nuns in uh, Atchison, Kansas. And they had taught me a bio-spiritual focusing um, of, you know, kind of accessing those parts of me that were still kind of in trauma, right? That, you know, if... Uh, when I was a child, somebody told me, um, you know, my, let's say my teacher died and my teacher died. I came home and wanted to cry. And someone said, we don't have time for that. You can't, you know, that's not going to do any good to cry. And so you take that and kind of stuff it down. Right. And so then as the years go on, you wonder why it's harder for you to cry. Why things, you know, and the way you respond to that is how you responded to that trauma way back in your life. You know, uh, for me, it was one of the things for me was that I had, uh, I know it's a long explanation, but for me, one of the things was that I had to walk my uh, brothers and sisters to school when I was in second grade when I was seven years old, one time someone came down and stole my sister's glasses and I had to chase them down for blocks and physically get those glasses back from them. Um, we walked to school 
in in the snow and ice. And I remember just trudging through that. You know, everybody always talks about walking up and downhill in the snow, right? And so that that trauma was still there. And if if triggered, you know, if I just keep it stuffed down, my friend Dr. Paul talks about it as a beach ball that you keep trying to stuff down. And pastors do this a lot, right? And if you keep trying to stuff it down, eventually it wants to come out. Mm. It's going to pop up and it pops. And that's what happened to me two years ago, that some of that trauma was still there, was still stuck. And the way I was responding to modern day problems was through um, those coping mechanisms that I had way back then. I was stuck. That part of me was stuck. And um, so anyway, fast forward to modern day, I, I think what we're learning and what I'm trying to explain in this new book and what I'm trying to show people in the being journey experiences is that through a process called focusing, we can focus on that trauma, uh, say hello to it. That sounds kind of trite to us old evangelicals, right? Uh, but say hello to it and ask it what it's trying to tell us. Because it is. Your body's, spe- your body's trying to tell you what's wrong. And um, little did we know until about 100 years ago, and we're now discovering that our body's trying to teach us about that. And the more we can be present with those parts of us that are stuck, then they'll just begin to take a shift. And it's not like we talked about that I have a, you know, all the heavens open and everything changed. It's that it just takes a little shift and things change. And uh, I'm so excited about that process where we can, um, and, and Laura and I can do that together. Occasionally we'll go talk to Dr. Paul or some more experienced uh, spiritual director. Um, but I would say it's changing our lives. We're not as reactive. So then when the guy breathes on me in the Casey's, <laughs> uh, it's, still, it's still triggering something, right? But that trauma has kind of shifted. And now I don't have to react. I can more, I can respond. I can't promise you that I'm not going to tell him that ignorance is not a permanent situation and he can learn and he can, he can educate himself about this pandemic. Um, but I say I'm less apt to just respond. Does that make sense? Does any of that make yeah. sense? Long yeah. definition, but I'd say that's one of my uh, most important practices these days that I meditate, you know, there's mindfulness there's those kind of things that help me breathe and help me uh, be present um, with those things inside me uh, that are bringing peace. Carl, I want to ask you, uh, and I'm looking forward to Laura's answer as well, but I want to ask you to break that down a little bit. About half our audience are Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals, all right? So mm-hmm. when you say mindfulness mm-hmm. and meditation, could you 
just kind of walk us through what that looks like practically for you? Um, for whatever reason, I've my body wakes up at four thirty every you poor morning. Man. Huh? Every you poor man. Four thirty <laughs> shouldn't happen twice a day. I don't know what happened to me? I used to be a late night person, and uh, Laura was always the one that got up around six, and she her body still kind of wakes up at six if she doesn't make it do something else. But. If possible, I will wake up at 4.30 or so, and there's no, when you talk to contemplatives, um, they say, they make it a point that none of this is required, none of this is like we used to, you know, our quiet time, it has to be, but um, mindfulness to me is, is simply just, a, you, know, you know that verse that says, um, be still and know that I'm gone. Yeah. Um, and I heard the lady, Lord, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, the lady that um, Brennan Doyle. Um, Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever her name. She wrote, when I heard her talking about her book with Brene Brown, she talked about that verse and she said, uh, she called it sinking. Uh, that be still phrase be still and know that i'm god be still and know that i am um, be still she she described it as sinking and um I, I went and looked it up you know looked up the hebrew uh there in psalm psalm 46 is that right i think it is and uh take your word for it okay <laughs> and then and literally that that is part of the meaning of that is to sink. And, and for me, that would be the best way I could describe it is that every morning that I, I go inside of myself. And there's, there's another phrase that I've been learning. I talked about it in the tea shop a little bit, but uh, it's called invincible preciousness. There is what we're learning is there's, you know, I talked about earlier, our body stores trauma, right? We're learning more and more about that. Um, but also, there's this idea that there's an invincible preciousness inside of us, uh, a part that's untouched by sin. Um, maybe it's an original part of us. Um, and the more and more we discover, the more and more we see that. And I, I just find when I go inside, when I meditate or um, just... I, for me, it seems to be more of just being still. You know, I'm an introvert. I'm a quiet guy, but I'm, you can tell I, I'm distracted, right? I'm kind of all over the place. But just to be still and sink down and go inside myself, um, what I find there is not what I originally thought was going to be there. What I find there is something precious and and pure and, and and you know i guess you might say i find god there i find the divine there what does that do for you carl i i think most of us would expect that if we ever took a, one of the reasons we won't do it is because we think if we ever took a good look inside we'd find the brokenness and the yeah. pain yeah, and, and the yeah, the part of us we're terrified for anybody else to see 
Yeah, I think it's been an awakening. Um, it's been revealing or, or whatever you want to say that, um, oh, you know, it. so now I say be where you are. So be present, be who you are, be authentic. And then I say, be at peace, you know. Mm. So when I'm present, um, then when I'm, I'm not faking myself out, as we say in the South, right? I'm not faking myself out. I'm authentic. And I even have a tattoo about that. Then I find peace. Because mm. I can go within. Um, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And like you said, uh, my roots are still where they were, right? That's still my clan that I come from. But... Um, there's just something beautiful that goes on um, when we can be authentic and when we can be present and it leads, it leads to real peace, you know, then, you know, I, when I wrote the book being I said, you know, I started with the concept of um, we're human beings, not human doings. Right. So I wrote the last third of it first, because the last third is about being with your dog, being with nature, being with whatever. Right. And that's great. Everybody kind of wants that. Right. But then I had to write the first part of the book, which was my experience of you got to do some work to get there. Yeah. It's hard work to be with yourself. Yeah. You have you have to be with yourself. And you have to face the fact that parts of you are injured. All of us. I, I don't exclude anybody in that. Especially if you've been in ministry. Oh, yeah. For sure. We know all about you, that, don't we? If you're in ministry, you have trauma. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you. And um, you, it, it's, it's going to take some work. I, I wouldn't say it's. It's hard, excruciating work, but it's hard. It's work, right? Okay, I'm done. Laura, practical things that you're doing to find peace. Um, well, it's interesting. You know, Carl talked about focusing. I just like had a focusing session yesterday, and and um, I will I will say this: two things. Since the pandemic um, has forced me to. Um, be with myself a lot. I, I think that's actually been a good thing. Um, like Carl said, it's kind of forced me to, um, to acknowledge that I have an inner critic. And when all these times I just thought it was people that have been criticizing me from the outside in, but a lot of my criticism of myself is from myself basically. So um, using focusing and breathing and just really, for me, I don't meditate in the same way that Carl does. Um, but just to be alone, let's say I get to school very early. So I am the only one at the school. I'm the only one in my classroom and just that piece or listening to just some classical music or something like that has just, um, helped to center me a little bit. Um, more to help me find some peace during these kind of crazy times. But, 
I will say though, that because of that, um, alone time, if you will, it, it can also, um, a lot of things that have been stuck can resurface. And so that's why, um, I felt the need to kind of go into a little bit of focusing and kind of see like, why am I still stuck here at, you know, some things that I've been dealing with what I would consider most of my life. Um, and I do think that, you know, somehow like ministry played a role in that, but I I think it started even before then. And just maybe, I don't know, there's, there's still some things I'm trying to uncover there, but, um, yeah, for me, I, I like to just have some quiet time by myself. And I, when I say quiet time, I'm not cracking open my Bible. I'm not listening to praise and worship music. Um, and that's fine if that's what works for you. But um, I, I just need to be alone with myself and with my thoughts and, and really ask myself some tough questions. Like, is that really true? Is, mm-hmm. is what you're thinking, is that really true about you? And then just speak truth into my, into my own life, I guess. Um, we do, Carl and I do like to um, like sit outside and just, I love to, we'll, we'll sit outside at night and light like um, those, they're not tiki torches, but they're like the small kind, you know, that you can put sure. on top of the table. And the thing it's, it's odd because the thing I find the most peaceful when we're out there is, um, watching the flames. So just watching the flames like dance, there's just something like mesmerizing about that, I guess. And, um, it just brings me this sense of peace and calm. And then, you know, just other things in nature. Um, I try to take time to notice the stars and things like that. I mean, you and I have talked Jason about, you know, I'm not, I'm still not 100% sure where I am, um, spiritually, but I do know that I'm spiritual, you know, and, um, just, just, um, being aware of, of my surroundings and noticing the things in creation just brings me a lot of peace. Hmm. In dealing with, can I say in dealing with the the stuff, the the people, the stuff of life. One of the things Dr. Paul said when we were doing the the focusing stuff, is he said no one can make you uh, feel anything. No one, no one can force you be angry um that comes from within you and maybe maybe a lot of times it's fear or or something like that deeper right that makes you angry um i I think it's worth the time to investigate that and i know that we've talked so many times brandy and i have about how, you know, when we lived in Alabama, we kind of lived in the middle of nowhere, which was great because we lived off in a countryside and had acres of land around the house and we couldn't see our neighbors. And, um, you know, you could hear the the bugs whistling outside at night and hear the frogs and, you know, all the animals and roosters crowing in the morning and all that stuff. Um, but we're so grateful during the pandemic, especially during the lockdown early on, 
that we could go to the beach mm. and just set up our little beach chairs mm -hmm. and just look at the sunset. Just, I mean, just zero in on one thing that is predictable. One thing that works the way it's supposed to. One right. place that we can go and not worry if somebody's going to cough on us or, or if we're going to cough on someone else and infect them. One place that we don't have to feel like we have to wear a mask because there's nobody around. We can just sit there and watch the sun go down with faith that it's going to come up again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that has been so restorative for us. Um, January 1st, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of New Year's re resolutions because I tend to break them very quickly. Um, but I, I had a goal that I wanted to personally witness as many sunsets as I could. Because I think it has that focusing effect for me. Mm. I think it's centering. I think there's just something. If I can go out there and just hear the waves crash and watch the sun go down. But you know what happens, Carl? You were talking about anger and how people can't make us angry. It's already there. You know what happens, though? I'll be sitting at the beach. And I'll be, I have just a perfect view of the sun and where we go and watch it this part of the year, it looks like the sun is just dropping into the Gulf of Mexico. Mm. It's just beautiful. The, the, the sun just lowers, 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 and then it just drops below the sea level. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful. But inevitably, once a week, maybe more, I'll get my seat. I'll be ready. I'm looking forward to this centering, peaceful experience. And someone or someones come and stand right in front of me between me and the sun. And I immediately feel this anger of why are those selfish pricks doing that? You know, yeah. and you're right. They can't make me anger, but, but the anger is already there. <laughs> yeah. So this may sound counterintuitive, but I, I, I want to share this with you because this may be one of the biggest lessons I've been learning recently. Um, Number one, that compassion, you talked about compassion earlier, right? Compassion for the least of these. But um, let me just say this. One of the things that's most important is that we all have compassion for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And for those parts of us that are wounded. That's yeah. very, very important. It's also, there's also another side to that, that we talk about critics and inner critics, but that inner critic is not always our parents. It's most often ourselves. Yep. And the part of us that judged ourselves when we were younger, maybe. Yeah. The part of us that, that, the first part that needs our compassion, right? Mm. The other part of us that's our biggest critic because, yeah, because of things that have happened to us in the past. And all of those things inherently are trying to protect us. They're trying to protect us from that past trauma. You know, they're still fighting that battle and we're still using the same coping skills of where we're stuck. And there, there may not, in my mind, be a more important word than compassion. <laughs> you know, and um, just a, a, a admonition to our critic that we are our biggest critic. 
We, I think that's so important because for so many of us, our lack of peace is rooted in insecurity. We're constantly comparing our sense of failure with everybody else's highlight reel, right? We're not, we're not seeing everybody else at their low. We're seeing the best moments of their life. We're seeing the Instagram version. Right. Um, and I can't, I mean, I, I was thinking yesterday, you know, why can I not produce a book <laughs> that I am proud to release to the world uh, without having a nervous breakdown about it. Why am I so hard on myself? I mean, I look at somebody like Keith Giles and Carl Forehand. They put out like three or four books a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm immediately comparing myself to you guys and, and falling short. So, Carl, help me with that. What can I, I know, you know, feeling compassion for the traumatized self. I, you you kind of guided me through a session where we focused on that one time, and that's been exceedingly helpful. But are there are there other tips that you have on how we can quiet that inner critic? Maybe maybe Laura could answer this better. Yeah. But... No, I was just I was just I I was just sharing with Carl today. Just I had a battle as soon as I got home today. So now you speak to that, Carl, because. I mean, you had to quiet all my inner critics when I got home from school. Yeah, you know, specifically with books, I think, you know, when you write something, it's got to be from your heart, and it probably was when you wrote it. Then you worried what people would think of it. But really, that the biggest critic was within you mm-hmm. because of some something in your past that said um it's got to be spectacular mm-hmm. right just yep. you know you're a great preacher anybody <laughs> hears you talk can see that but you know somebody told you in your past possibly you're going to be a great preacher you know going to rock the world well it's got to be that or nothing at all you know and the Laura and I literally were just talking about this two hours ago. Mm-hmm. That the the deal with the critic, even if it's yourself, is it, kind of like the old hand up. You know, it's kind of just got to be you getting in between that part of you and the other part of you. And Dr. Paul talks about a pause, so that we can pause long enough to have compassion for that child that earlier part of us that stuck part of us and say to the inner critic listen i know you're trying to protect me you know you're trying to protect me from getting hurt right and and so to say to that inner critic just just chill out for a second i i appreciate that part of me that wants to keep me from being embarrassed and keep me from being hurt um, but listen, just chill out for, and hold up your hand and say, just stop. Please, you know, that's what we want to say to overbearing mothers and <laughs> so on and so forth, right? Uh, yep. We want to tell them, just stop for a second and, and let me uh, have compassion for that part of myself that's kind of hurt and be with it and ask it what it needs from me. Let me try to try to minister to that. Um, and I need you just to be quiet for now. I, I recognize that 
that part of me that's trying to protect me will at times actually probably protect me down the road. But right now it's too much and I, you just need to stop. Um, specifically with books and, you know, and things like that. Uh, someone kind of that, I don't, I don't want to mention directly in my life, but someone in my life about books just said, you know, you, you really just sharing yourself with the world. And how many people reads that is really not significant at all. Mm -hmm. You know, um, how verbose that is, it really doesn't matter. It's your sharing uh, your heart with the world. And really that could apply to a lot of things that we do. That right. We're just taking something inside of us and saying, I don't know, this may or may not help anybody else, but it's, it's, it's authentic. Again, it's present. I, I'm being myself. I'm being here. I'm being authentic. And I offer this to you, you know, do with it what you will. Right. Good stuff, Carl. Thank you. All right. So you've talked a little bit about being, we've talked about the tea shop. I'm really looking forward to being, um, I think it's going to help a lot of people. I think it's such a good book. I'm so grateful that you wrote it. Um, but I'm really intrigued with this book that you and Laura were writing together. Mm. Laura, can you tell us something about that? I wish I could. I, I know it's like, <laughs> Because we did it so long ago. And then he was just like, oh, I'm going to write this other book. And I was like, okay. Um, I, it, it has to do with, you know, our, our podcast and Carl's um, website is called the desert sanctuary. So it had to do with basically coming out of organized church into the desert so um, I can't even remember what the titles were for it, but I know that like Carl wrote, you know, he, I feel like he writes very eloquently and, and um, almost pastorally, I guess, because he's able right. to like, pull, you know, pull scripture or whatever he needs to pull. I kind of just, you know, kind of like he was talking about a minute ago, I just kind of, I'm kind of just raw and, and was, just, and just speaking from my heart. So I mean, he would have to say what some of the titles were, and maybe that would jog my memory, but so much of it I've kind of forgotten about. And and speaking to what you were saying about writing, I mean, I felt that way the entire way, entire time I was writing. I kept saying, nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say, you know, um, but who knows, you know, maybe there, maybe there will be somebody that wants to, wants to hear from a pastor's wife perspective, if you will, um, what it was like to be on that side of the um, ministry or that side of the pulpit and just, you know, so I, I'm sure it's still pretty raw. I think I would have to go back and really reread what I wrote to make sure it was, <laughs> you know, um, not too terribly raw, I guess. So I think it's such a, a gift, though, when folks are willing to be as transparent as you have been both on this podcast and these kind of conversations. But uh, also, I saw a little bit of, of what you had written uh, you? back when y'all were in process with that. I saw glimpses of it. I didn't get to see it all because I don't think it was completely finished yet the last time I got to take a look at it. But 
I love the transparency and I, I feel drawn to that because if we cannot be ourselves, there's a cost that comes with that. There's a cost with not being known for who you are. And, you know, you're just going to, we just get relegated to the shadows because we're just terrified of what somebody would know if they really knew. Right. And the only way around that is just be who we are. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm grateful and uh, jealous that you were able to do that so well, Laura. Uh, I'll have to go back and read it and see. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, can you tell us anything else about the book y'all worked on together? Yeah, it's it's either called out in the desert or out into the desert. And um, first, the first part of it is is a series of things like would Jesus go to church, um, the services of the church, what the church, you know, it's kind of information about my assessment of the church once I got kind of outside the church, the organized religion. But the last part of it is about um, it's some of it or most of it is based on the sermon on the mount actually it's kind of mm. a first look at that and i remember one chapter's called um finding my inheritance you know for theirs is the kingdom of god what does that mean and what does justice mean once you're outside the church it's kind of a fresh look at all of that kind of stuff and the the beatitudes more specifically um from out viewing it from the outside mm. and and so that's kind of what you know i i can't promise there's not any vitriol in there <laughs> 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 you know, you kind of um you know but and um i published you know some of those things we wrote maybe in a patheos vlog or something and we got we got some negative feedback from church people, people that are in organized religion, right. thinking that we're condemning or we're criticizing them. That's not what we're doing. I, I think what we, what we were attempting to do more than anything is what I believe that a lot of other people out there, I, I don't want to mention names, but there's a, I think there's a lot of other people out there that would say we just need to reimagine the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just not working. It's crumbling, and it's, you know, they even have the 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 phrases, the duns, the nuns, the, you know, and it seemed like to me sometimes in the church, we were just a multi-level marketing business. We were trying to replace the people on the front end that went out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's got to be more than that. It's It's got to be more significant than spending 70% of our money on on salaries and buildings and things that don't ever really do what we were talking about before, the least minister to the least of these. Um, it certainly has not proved to be the high ground, the higher angels, the the solution in the pandemic. Mm. The organized organized religion has not been at the forefront of of moral ethical solutions to this 
tragedy, this mm-hmm. pandemic, this, um, you know, let's go the desert analogy, this wandering in the wilderness, you know, it's, it's, it needs to be, uh, you know, I don't say, you know, our friend Derek Day said, burn it down. I don't, that's not my image. My image is we gotta, we gotta reimagine it and make it so. Don't you think it needs to be from top to bottom, right? I mean, we can't just tear it down halfway and build on uh, the remnants of what used to be because what used to be was not good. Uh, there, there's just, I can't find anything. I, I'm going to sound so, oh, we're, we're going to hear about this one, but yeah. um, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I used to get really worked up about the negative feedback that we would get on blogs and comments and social media stuff. But then I just, there was just this voice and I just choose to believe that it was God just saying, that's not your audience. That's not who you're speaking to. That's not who you're here for. And so let them say whatever they're going to say. But the reality is I can't find hardly anything in the modern religious structure that in any way resembles anything that Jesus talked about while he was walking. Let's just get away from any conversation. Deconstruction's okay, but let's get away from any conversation about reconstruction because we're not trying to recreate anything. What used to be. Yeah. What used to be. We're trying to reimagine. So maybe let's use the word evolve. Let's, let's evolve. Let's transcend. Let's do something yeah. like that. And totally, you're scaring the Baptists yeah, with those, those words. Are, those, are not, sure. those are not accepted words. <laughs> I, know, I know. But you're exactly right. You really I are. Know because, and, because I know the rule is two beliefs, right? Yeah. So if, if you're talking to friends from my tradition and you say, I don't believe in this, they'll say, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You don't believe in this. And you don't believe in this, so there's two beliefs. That's the minimum. Mm-hmm. It's way beyond that, right? Yeah. And it's right. not necessarily totally about the beliefs, because probably what we need to reimagine is that there needs to be an opening to people believing different things and being at different right. places and being all you know and being accepting of them. But I'm yeah, it it needs to be. We need to evolve. We need to totally reimagine it, you know, go to the next level. And that, that scares the crap out of people. I, I understand that. It, it did to me, but, but eventually I said to Laura, we can't do this anymore. We can't keep doing it. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. The last time we had one of these conversations with both of you, you guys had just announced that you were not doing church anymore. You were not going there anymore. And I just want to follow up with that. I know we're over on time already, but I just wanted to ask you both. Laura, do you ever miss it? No. <laughs> Look at him laughing. I don't either. I don't. I don't. Um, and I think like, as you guys were talking, I think the reason I can say that is because I find the divine in so many places outside of church that I literally did not find the divine very often inside the church building. So um, like, like I was talking about, just like what you were talking about. I mean, I look at your pictures 
of you and Brandy sitting on the beach, looking at the sunset. And I think how beautiful and how, how much you just can experience the divine right there or watch, you know, looking at the stars or watching fire, you know, flames burn or whatever. Um, so I do not, I do not miss it. I cannot think of one thing that I miss inside the church on a Sunday morning um, that would it in its present day state that would even remotely want me to walk back through those doors. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's probably more anxiety if Carl were to say to me this coming Sunday, Hey, let's just go, let's just go across the street to church. And I, I mean, I can actually feel the anxiety rising in me if he, you know, to think that that, and I don't, I'm not saying that he would say that, but if that were something he said, I know that there would be a lot of anxiety for me to do that. Well, so. Probably some sin in your life. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Carl, do you ever miss critics it? Critics not even saying a word about that. They're like. <laughs> <laughs> now this, this Sunday, this past Sunday, we went, um, we had a, kind of a trial run for the bean journey for the the book and doing the focusing stuff and 30 day journey together. And we had four different groups that Dr. Paul spoke to, and we kind of got the groups going to, um, you know, kind of build that community around hopefully dealing with trauma. And um, one group was full of counselors it, it was almost completely people with counseling backgrounds and um, it blew me away because now they're going to maybe learn something that can help them, you know, the, the least of the, they could maybe deal with real trauma. Um, that was so uh, Elena Lewandowski, who's one of my favorite new singers and, She's a chanter and so on. She mentioned something about the full moon that was going to eclipse at 1.30. And I set my alarm and woke up at 1.30 to look at the moon. And it didn't eclipse because it was the previous night. She had messed up announcing. But I walked out on my porch. It was freezing cold. But the, the moon was mesmerizing. It was directly over my front porch. Um, listen, things like that are are deep spiritual, emotional um, things. That I remember. You probably remember the same thing. There were people in church that would say, "Yeah, I had the best experience the other day driving down the road." and listening to some music or whatever. And they would say, I had the deepest experience or, or I walked through nature. You know, you heard experiences like that all the time. Yet we were, we were continually trying to develop that show that would recreate those other real experiences in their life. We, we have all kinds of real experiences um, and deep experiences like Laura said, our favorite thing is just now getting pretty much too cold to do it. 
I'm trying to find some firewood so I can do the fire pit, you know, so we can be out on the porch outside. And that's, that's just quickly moving, um, just like your experience at the beach, right? Those, those things are, wow, just as deep and just as moving as, as going to the show, as I call it. I don't know. Well, I'm looking for the days when we can all get our COVID vaccines and uh, we can set out a couple of extra chairs and uh, see the sunset with y'all hopefully one day and uh, come up to your neck of the woods and see what's we're, happening up there as well. We're, we're like in the starting blocks waiting for that to happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> all right. So before we go, tell folks how to, um, how they can engage with you and your blog and your, your website your podcast, the whole deal? Well, for me, I'm just on Facebook. Um, and my podcast has, it is geared toward teachers that want to know more about the teaching style I use, which is whole brain teaching. So it's called whole brain teaching the podcast, but it's fun. I do it with one of my friends and we just have a really good time. And so, um, but that's the podcast that I do. But, um, other than that, I mean, we, we, Carl's mainly does the website, the desert sanctuary and the Facebook page, but certainly if people wanted to get in touch with me for any reason on there, I, I would be more than happy to, to, um, message back for sure. Awesome. We are going to link to Carl and Laura's social media. We'll also link to the desert sanctuary. Uh, we'll link to the whole brain teaching podcast. So you can find that as well. Um, these are two wonderful, wonderful people. And I hope those of you who are listening, uh, will get to know them. They, we just love y'all. We've never yeah. met in person, but Thank we you. just think of y'all as absolute family. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to get off of here and cry. Yeah. <laughs> we feel the same way. One thing I, I'll say, Jason, is I, my website's kind of been changed to carlforehand.com, but Okay. Way better than it used to be. Um, But we love you guys too. We Mm -hmm. we just, when we think about all the new people, now we went from, let's say, where you don't have community anymore if you're not in church. We have a lot of community out there. Um, Yeah, I really feel like we've got more community than we've ever had. Yeah. And you guys, that's definitely, uh, you know, that most important part for us. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for doing this. We love you. Thank Thank you. you. Love you guys too.